You are listening to Creating Active Lives with me, Sarah Blytho, and my regular weekly guests, and we are all here to share the research, the science, and the strategies, as well as some of the fun, to help you to create a more active life. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Creating Active Lives with me, Sarah Belitho, and my guest this week, Sam James. Now, this week, we're talking about including disability in activity and fitness. And Sam is actually a fitness instructor who specialises in working with people with disabilities. But she also is kind of unique because, Sam, if you want to tell us a little bit about you and what makes you different to a lot of what we think of as fitness people. Yeah, hi, I'm Sam, and I am a, um, obviously a pleasure trainer, fitness instructor, but I have a disability myself. So I have the most common physical disability out there, which is cerebral palsy. So cerebral palsy is a group of conditions that affects the uh it's technically a neurological condition, but it affects the actual nervous system and the movement of the actual body itself. So the body doesn't actually do what you, you tell it to do, basically. In a nutshell. <laughs> In a nutshell, yeah. yeah. And as you say, it's a very common disability um, and there are various um, effects. Yeah. But like anything else... It's just as important, maybe more so, that people are active, that people exercise, because it helps to attenuate and improve some of the the effects. So what got you started with activity or exercise generally? So generally, um, so I go back to my 20s, I was starting to feel like I was becoming, um, my body was like not doing what I wanted it to do, basically. And um, yeah. with cerebral palsy, though it's a non-progressive condition, once you hit adulthood, the ageing effects can actually increase, can make it appear to be a progressive condition when it's not. And I was starting to go really stiff and tight. I went to my GP and she just suggested that I do something like, like yoga or Pilates. So... And so I joined my local council gym, did body balance for a while. Then Shimba came out and I always wanted to dance as a, as a kid, but no dance school would have me because of my disability. So I found a class, went, loved it. The more I went, I then started to get brave and went to other classes at my gym. Then I, in gym, I cracked a bone in my shoulder joint and through the rehab, I'm seeing not only my shoulder joint improving, but my actual disability improving. I I thought I thought I could actually do this myself. And the, the PT that I was working with actually said to me, Sam, you'll be a really good role model for looking at disabled people and getting them active. You should really think about this. So I asked him what qualifications I needed to work with disabled adults. I went home, I Googled it. And the first thing that came up was instructability. And it was a funded programme by Sport England run through Aspire Charity to get disabled people qualified and working within the fitness industry because they saw that there was a gap in the market. I applied, got on the course, and, and 
Uh, back in August 2013, I qualified as a level two gym instructor. I then went on to do my level three exercise and disability qualification. And with instructability, you had to do a three month work placement, which I did in my local council gym. From that, I got taken on and I started to work in the exercise referral team. That's where they had a gap at the time. I then went on to do my level three PT, level three exercise referral qualifications. I got my level four exercise for long term neurological conditions qualification. And um, I basically also work with like other fitness brands to try and make them more inclusive to disabled adults because I feel that a disabled adult should not go to specialist class, especially if they have a physical disability and not a learning disability because if they go to a class that is aimed for those with a lower sort of cognitive ability, they're going to feel left out because they've got a higher level and they can follow a mainstream yeah. class. So for me, those are people with physical disabilities that are technically being left out of mainstream fitness when they should be included. And that is why I qualified, basically, in a nutshell. Brilliant. And it's so needed. It's absolutely so needed. Because, like you say, you're a role model and and people will look at you and think, oh, well, if if she can do it, then she can help me to do it. Um, And it's, you know, we need more different differences in the industry. It's I I used to assess... um, people at the Royal College for the Blind and you think how can they possibly be trainers but actually they were really really good um their verbal instructions were brilliant um and it's it's just it's finding the right way but for a lot of people they're nervous about approaching gyms they're nervous about um approaching PTs and you know we were talking just before we came on we were saying there's there's approximately 10 million people in the UK who have some sort of disability possibly more I mean, there are probably a lot of people out there who are kind of, if you like, disabled almost by health conditions rather than having a physical disability. That's an awful lot of people. And that's an awful lot of people who probably want to exercise, want to be active, maybe want to be athletes. And, you know, and yet it's I from speaking to a lot of people, they're saying, you know, I go to the gym and they say, oh, we're really sorry. We don't have anyone that can help. We don't have anyone that can work with with you. And they're being turned away because there's a lack of um, instructors out there. There is. Both, both like yourself, but also, you know, people with, who don't have a disability, but who just yeah. want to make a difference. So what, as as a disabled person, what do people want to see when they go to a gym? What do they want to hear? So I know from, like, the, the groups that I'm in, like, having those CP groups, and a lot of them actually want, they all say that the leisure centres themselves are about 20 years behind in terms of accessibility, they haven't got poor hoist. They haven't got accessible changing rooms that are open all the time. They often told, oh, we've got an accessible changing by the pool, but you've got to go and get a staff member to get the key for you. And that like, can put them off. And the fact is that, or in a gym, there isn't like, a gym that's got a staff member qualified to work for them. Or... It right. could be the fact that, like, I know a lot of my PT clients have worked with not PTs that aren't qualified for disability and they've been put off because 
that PT treats him like a non-disabled client. They don't understand the actual disability. They don't understand that one day, one week, they could have a really good week. The next week could be a really good week. And the week after, it could be a really bad week and they can't do what they did the two weeks before. Then they're being told off because that PT thinks, why can't you do that? You did it for the last two weeks. They don't understand that, yes, it's a disability, yet what we have to go through on a daily basis, it can change. Our disability can change every single day. And what we're able to do can change on an every, every, every single day. And it means that actually when I program my clients, I can come onto a call or turn up to them and I have to change it on the spot to suit their requirements for that day. And most the PTs that work with non-disabled clients, that is what they cannot get. And that is why disabled people are put off by PTs because they've had a bad experience by it. And I've got one of my clients, she, I've been working with her for a, a two, like than two months, and literally, it's only now, but she's slowly, I'm helping her get rid of that bad experience of her last PT that she had just after COVID, and she's not used to one for over 18 months, yet that experience is still with her, and it still torments her, and that should not happen at all. It should be the complete no. opposite. Yeah, a lot of these non-disabled PTs don't understand that they're putting a lot of disabled people off exercise. And that's why more and more disabled people are now qualifying as PTs because there's a gap in the market, so to speak. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's... It's so important, like you say, it's that, that sort of negative experience can can impact yeah. on on future participation but it, it could even be a negative reaction from a receptionist yeah. who sort of says oh I don't know if we've got anything suitable yeah. for you and things like that you know it's you you don't walk into a restaurant and someone says oh I don't know if we've got any food suitable for you you look through the menu yeah. you make your own decisions about what you're going to eat it's the same with fitness facilities you know let people come in have a look around and say right actually there's quite a lot here that, yeah. that would be useful for me um so it's you know it's it's giving people the choice, giving people the options. And the issue is that like I got very I work for Leisure Centre close to me, and they are very good. They have loads of inclusive sessions. So virtually three or four days a week, there is one or two inclusive sessions on every day, and that could be it could be a gym session, it could be a seated exercise class, it could be a swimming session, like about they got a trampoline park an inclusive bounce session or inclusive ice skate and that's where a lot of lot of leisure centres are missing out because if they put on an inclusive session that that can um, be targeted to any disabled adult or even child age, you know, depending on the age range, yeah. then they're going to have a huge market walking into that leisure centre it's a, an untapped market is the purple pound, which a lot of yeah. people don't understand. There's money there in the disabled world that disabled people want to spend, yet a lot of providers don't want to, them to spend it in their facility. And that's it. You know, it's it, it's also, you know, people with a disability are just as likely to want to exercise for their health. And in actual fact, possibly more so because we know that there are 
you know, associated comorbidities and conditions yeah. that go with some of them, but particularly with inactivity. So, you know, we need more instructors who are who are willing to sort of stand up, get qualified and say, right, OK, let's do this together. What, you know, what can you do? What what are you limited in? It's it's working with the client. Isn't it? It's not being afraid of the condition. It's not thinking, oh crikey, I might I might hurt someone. But it's saying, okay, right, let's let's go through this logically. You know, let's look at ability, disability, the holistic package, and work out what's good. I find that a lot of instructors can go up to an older adult, ask them all the questions under the sun, and can work with them. Yeah, it's exactly the same questions they need to ask a disabled client you treat a disabled client like a normal human being it's not their fault they were born slightly differently it's not their fault their body slightly works in a different way i wasn't asked to have this disability yet the way most of the fitness industry works is it's our fault it's our fault why we are born this way yet actually exercise for virtually all newer conditions is essential you need it to improve a condition. If you don't exercise every newer condition, it's only going to get worse. And yeah. that's what. And actually, newer conditions is the most um, highly diagnosed conditions to this day. And more and more people every week or every day are being diagnosed with newer conditions. You know, it's like yeah. cerebral palsy, strokes, Parkinson's, MND, MS. This goes on, and they are the ones that are technically can be classed as disabled, but more likely to be classed as a health condition. And they're the ones that really need to use the facilities, and have more likely to have a PT that and or a fitness instructor to understand what they want basically. Because it's not just about going to the gym. They might want to go to a class and feel included in a class. They might be sat down in a class, but let them sit down in a class because they'll be doing it the same way, but just seated. Yeah. Yeah. And this is so important, but it's also so important to sort of, you know, really, I mean, anyone who knows me will know this is one of my catchphrases, but get to know your client because I used to work in a a very large um, referral scheme and we'd get, not just referral conditions, but quite a lot of people with um, disabilities coming in. And, you know, I'd always sort of say, right, okay, you know, when might they might go into muscular spasms or something? And they'd say, right, when that happens, I've just got to, I've just got to ride it out. Yeah. You know, and if I'm sitting there doing nothing, it's not because I'm doing nothing. It's because I know what I need to do. But it's having that, isn't it? It's having that understanding that sometimes when somebody stops, it's not because they're being lazy or they're bored or anything. It's because actually their body's gone need a bit of a break, need to stop for a moment, need to get over this spasm. It's like the brain overloads, and when the brain overloads, I I know when my brain overloads, I need to stop. That's when I need to stop the exercise and just take a minute. Also, don't be afraid if they have balance issues and they fall over. I know that I fall over in front of people, they go, you okay? Yes, it's fine, it's a normal day occurrence. And they try and pick you up in a way that is so uncomfortable or dangerous yeah. and they don't ask how you want to be picked up. And I'm always correcting people on, oh, you've got to do it this way. But if people could say, how would you like to be picked up? When would you like to be picked up? Or can you get up yourself? Because 
if I'm by something, like a wall or a chair, I can get up myself. It's when I fall in the middle of nowhere that I will need help. I've got nothing around yeah. me. But ask that person because every disabled person is different. I've got clients that hate being picked up and they've got walkers so they can use the walker to actually ask their aid to help get them up. That's how the physio has trained them. And as you say, it is about getting to know your client. It's about asking them questions. Like, I think most people are scared to ask about a disability. They're scared to ask about the, like, the ins and outs of it. But actually, that's what disabled yeah. people want. They want you to ask those questions. They want you to get to know that condition. If you're working with a client with arthritis, you'll be asking every question under the sun. Yet, if you get a, a, a client with cerebral palsy, you're not asking them. It's like we're in, it's like I'm an alien and I'm in a different, <laughs> different planet. Isn't it, isn't it weird, though? You're right. And it's, you know, disability. But I've noticed the same with mental health. There's people diagnosed, say they've got a mental health condition or a disability. And instead of saying, oh, right, OK, how does that impact you? What's a good time of day to exercise? What impact does it has on everyday function? People are like, oh, OK. Um, um, uh, and it's if, if somebody said, oh, I've got arthritis or I've got diabetes, you'd be asking all the questions. And actually, I think it makes us as fitness instructors look a bit, it makes us look a bit stupid, yeah. really, because you're probably sitting there thinking, why aren't they asking me these obvious questions? Um, you know, are they a bit, aren't they very good? Because they're not asking the questions that yeah. I would expect them to ask. So, you know, it's, I mean, it's it's obviously not being um, offensive or disrespectful, but it's, it's asking the question. And I think uh, just one thing I want to say there is there are some times where you might say the wrong thing and that's okay as long as it's, it's, unintentional yeah. and it's an opportunity to be educated as well yes. sort of say actually prefer not that that term because some people um i'm thinking some people prefer hearing impaired other people like deaf but it's it's allowing yourself as an instructor to be educated it's isn't it and say oh right okay you prefer that term that's what i'll use and it's actually the the deaf community prefer the word deaf whereas the proper yes. terminology is hearing impaired and yeah. the same is similar with the blind community because they prefer visually impaired and not blind. So it, it all depends on the actual yeah. community themselves. And it's like, I know, like, most people, like, with CP, we prefer CP because actually we don't like the name cerebral palsy because it actually sounds worse than it actually is. So it describes yeah. the actual condition, it makes it sound a hundred times worse than how I present, if that makes sense. So, and yes. that's the first CP because it sort of softens the name and it sort of makes it a little bit more, not fashionable, but, you know, a little bit more bearable on those that don't know who it, who it is, what it, what it is, basically. And like you say, it's one of the most common disabilities out there. Um, and it's, but yet it's one, I mean, there are various it's grades and things like that, but it's one that hugely benefits, like most of them, from appropriate activity. But it's also, this is, again, where, as instructors, we work with the individual. We don't sort of say, oh, right, someone's coming in with CP. I'm going to do this, 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 and this. It's okay. Tell me about your condition. Tell me about how it impacts. Tell me about what you find easy to do. Tell me about what you struggle. It's, it's all those questions, isn't it? But it's, 
it's the same as you would with anyone else. Um, and I always, but somehow we, I always ask, we make an assumption yeah, about a condition. I always ask what they want to get out of working with me. Because mm. if I ask that question, then I know exactly what they pinpoint, exactly what they want. And then I can actually do a plan around it. And it's also being just asking them what can't they do. Because actually, if you work out what they cannot do, then you can you know what to work on to help them do that. Because you say, yes, you're yeah. cerebral palsy. Yes, the brain damage will never be corrected, but the neuropathways can be rewritten. And you can, that client then can start doing things they've never done before. I've got a client who's always um, had drinks out of his door and never been able to drink normally. And now through complete accident about us knowing it, she can now drink out of a cup and not a straw. And when she goes out, she can drink a cocktail out of a cocktail glass. And that's her, that is the biggest thing going. It might seem insignificant to a non-disabled person, but to a disabled person, that is a massive win. And it's those massive wins that are quite small to everyone else that are the most beneficial and proud. And like, I see her drinking out of a glass. I get so proud because I'm like, I've helped achieve that. I've done that. I can, you know, and actually my knowledge, and I didn't even set out to achieve that. So it goes to show how exercise can impact someone, even in ways you don't even think of. That's it. And it's just one thing you, you were talking about, sort of like with brain damage. And I know CP, we always, on the course that I teach, we refer to it as a non-progressive, but not unchanging condition. Um, but the brain damage, you, whenever you hear the words brain damage, you think intellectual brain damage, if you like. But actually, it's not always the case. It's brain damage resulting in physical yes. disabilities. And, a, you know, an, an awful lot of the time, absolutely nothing wrong with the brain. It's... It's the physical and actually, abilities someone, that are affected rather than the mental if capacity. If someone with cerebral palsy has a learning disability, it's a separate disability on top. Yeah. It's a comorbidity. It's not the cerebral palsy. Yeah. It's a separate condition on top of the cerebral palsy. And again, with cerebral palsy, you might get a lot. A lot of people with cerebral palsy could be deaf or they could have epilepsy. So it is quite common to have two conditions with cerebral palsy. Yeah. It's not the cerebral palsy that's caused it, it's just a bit of bad luck that they've got two conditions. Yeah. And it's but it's this is where it's so important not to assume. Yeah. You know, don't assume when you hear something like C P that there's some sort of intellectual yeah. impairment because quite often there isn't I, I haven't um, got an, just I, as I've not got an intellectual yeah. I'm all okay up here and I'm, I can be quite quick. Especially when I'm working with clients, you know, think how quick and sharp I am. And that just goes to show that it is all physical with me. It's just yeah. my nervous system doesn't send signals how it should do. That's the only thing with me. And the fact is, like, how my, part of my brain damage affected my speech and language cortex. And actually, I have a slight speech impediment. That's just how the damage, what part of the brain's. Brain is damaged when that damage occurred. 
Yeah. And this is, but this is again where it's so important get to know yeah. your client because, you know, chances are they may, they may well out intellect you as the instructor. Yeah. Um, I got, yeah, they yeah. definitely can. I can assure you of that. Yeah. Now, something we touched on a little bit earlier, we were looking at barriers. Yeah. Um, and I know something I've experienced with people talking to me recently when I've been really trying to promote the fact that I'm running a, a disability and exercise course um, is that. People say they've they've gone to the big gyms, the corporate gyms, the big chains, and just been met with a blank wall yeah. of, of we haven't got any way of helping you. Um, what do you think are some of the issues? Because I know from experience, some of the much smaller private local gyms tend to be a bit better. They're, they're kind of a bit more, you know what, come in, let's give it a go. Let's see what we can do. Yeah. But it seems to be the bigger ones that aren't as helpful. So is that something in your experience... I have. I can instruct that I have. I've had, I, I tried to cover actually other big corporate ones and as soon as they found out I was disabled, they, they didn't want me covering the class or they didn't want me teaching there. Um, and I think it's the fact that they have this, I think society has a viewpoint of disability and I think they have this negative viewpoint of disability and I think that obviously when you look at the word disability, it's disability. It's not looking at the ability of that person. Yeah. They should be looking at the ability of that person. Like for the last nine years, I've worked for two local councils. One I teach classes for, and I teach five classes there, and they all sold out. They're all sold out 10 days in advance. That goes to show a disabled person can teach a mainstream fitness class to non-disabled people and be successful. And I've actually project managed in my other job a disability sports project. So it goes to show that someone with a disability can go somewhere in the industry and work hard. And I know like with instructability, they've had the employability scheme where they've been educating gyms and how to employ disabled people. But again, it's about it's not just about employing disabled people. It's about making sure that centre is accessible, not only for disabled staff, but for disabled clients. Because if you can't get a disabled staff member working in a facility, how can you attract disabled clients? Or if you haven't yeah. got a, a gym instructor or PT that's qualified to work with disabled clients, then again, you're not going to attract them. And actually, the first point of call for any disabled person will be the actual leisure centre. They're going to look at disabled parking. They'll look at how can they get from the car into the centre. Has it got a lift? Is it all on one floor? Has it got a swimming pool? Has it got a, a pool pod or a pool hoist? Has it got changing rooms that they can access any time of the day? They go when it's open without having to get a key from someone. And can they do a mainstream fitness class? Can they go in in a wheelchair into a mainstream fitness class? Is that instructor prepared for them? Because if not, that instructor or that leisure centre is not inclusive. They technically are discriminating against a section of that community and making them like, oh, 
that is the big I think that is the biggest barrier for disabled people is they can't access what they want or where they want to access because not all disabled people can drive so they are limited to public transport or yeah. walking or relying on people getting lifts and everything so and these things unless unless you said to how should a disabled person working for them they're not going to work look at all these aspects because until someone is faced with a disabled person or a disability themselves they will never ever think of it in a million years it's i remember um years ago when i was involved in a, in a huge project to get more people qualified and it's it's disappointing to see that it, it that 20 years later it's not quite as as widespread as it was then but I know that a big thing was trying to get people to go around centres and say your signage is in the wrong place, you know, the, the handrails are in the wrong place. Um, and quite often, a lot of the accessibility will be focused on wheelchair users and not some people walk with aids or whatever. So they don't necessarily want the lower levels of things. They want handrails next to the, the appropriate height ones. Yeah. So it's really thinking about. Yeah, you know, actually, it's asking, isn't yes. it? It's getting people in to say, right, what can we do to improve it? Because all the shiny equipment in the world and the wonderful uniforms mean nothing if people come through the door and say, do you know what? There's nothing here for me. Yes. There's nothing that I feel part of, that I feel welcome I think, for. And yeah, I think you're right, because I think when like, society's view of disabled is wheelchair users, like, I don't use yeah. I haven't. I haven't got a wheelchair. I don't use one. I walk a bit wonky. And but yes, if I'm in a toilet, I want handrails at the right, right height. I want a hand dryer at normal height. I don't want to bend down to use a sink. I want it at yeah. normal height. Yet people always think that everyone's in a wheelchair, and that isn't correct. Yet on the flip side of in a gym, even gym equipment, yes, it's becoming better. I think becoming a little bit more wheelchair accessible but it's like for example they don't make the handbikes so power chairs can get on them they don't factor in the battery on the bottom of a power chair so a power chair can't get over the base and that can be an issue for power chair users that that's the only cardio bit of equipment they can use yet the actual manufacturer of that equipment hasn't thought about a power chair they've thought about a manual wheelchair but they've not thought about an electric wheelchair and how electric wheelchairs are actually made the battery is underneath it cannot come off yet the basis can be quite thick on the bottom so that means that that client is now excluded because they can only use weights they can't use a cardio bit of equipment it's yeah there's so much to think about i'm I'm just literally back um from the ssm conference yeah. annual conference this year and now there, there were a few sessions on disability but nothing like i would have expected to see and that was one of the reasons i wanted to go was to see what what the advances are within you know the exercises medicine arm and also the sports medicine arm yeah. of the organization and and actually yes there were a few poster presentations but there weren't a lot of mainstream sessions on disability. And I was quite disappointed about that. I'm actually thinking of putting myself forward as a speaker next year on something like this, um, because I know that they do, the ASSM do have a course um, on, they call it inclusivity. Um, But, you know, we need to get 
we just need to get more people, more instructors to do the disability, but also to get more disabled people coming along and saying, do you know what, I want to be a fitness instructor. And let's remove the barriers from them because a lot of places will go, oh, but, you know, how would you use the gym? I can still talk. I can still tell people what to do. So we need to be much more inclusive on the entry-level courses, the level twos, gym and group exercise, because just as capable of doing that as anyone else because that means that then there's a clear pathway towards the level three to me i actually think that actually anyone doing a level two course should be doing the level three exercise disability course because to me that virtually i think nowadays there is more people in this world that are disabled than non-disabled and with all these people being diagnosed every day with a newer condition, or even with arthritis, which arthritis can be quite disabling, that actually oh, gosh, more yes. and more people, they, I think it should be made compulsory that actually these courses should be done because actually able, non-disabled people or able-bodied people are now becoming the minority. Yeah. People with, that, people with no health condition, disability or um, anything like that are actually, yeah, there are, they are few and far between. Yeah. And sadly, like you've just said, a lot of people don't just have one disability or health condition. They'll have two yeah. or three, you know, they'll, they'll be multi-morbid rather than yeah. just the single one. And you're, I agree, I agree with you. I almost think what, what we call the specialist populations, but really they're not that special anymore. They're more common, yeah. but I think it's so important because like you say, arthritis can be incredibly disabling and because it's a relapse remitting type of condition, yeah. you know, people have flare ups and then periods of normality. Again, instructors need to be able to say, oh, right, flare up. We'll do this instead. Yeah. Um, or you're going through a bad phase. We'll do and, this instead. Actually, so there needs to be a much, much more awareness, doesn't there? Yeah. On And people with a physical that. disability are more likely to get arthritis or osteoporosis mm. and always aging conditions because of the impact the skeleton has on their body with how they, how they move, basically. Like, I was diagnosed with arthritis at 25. Wow. So, and that's Gosh. part of CP. That is a natural part of CP because my skeleton moves in a completely different way. I'm putting more pressure through my skeleton how I walk. I'm quite heavy fitted when I walk. So and I've broken both my feet. So it just goes to show that actually not you know, that any of these conditions yeah, yeah, you might get a PT that will work with showing of arthritis, but they won't work with showing show of a physical disability, yet they don't realise that is a physical disability in the way because arthritis is, can be more disabling than what C P can exactly and and again maybe that's we need to look at conditions that have a disabling effect on everyday life rather than looking at disability because like you say arthritis but also obesity can have a major disabling effect on everyday life and actually again if people are not active if they spend a lot of their time sat down or stationary they're more likely to develop obesity which then makes them more likely to develop arthritis if they've got arthritis they're less likely to move, which means they're more likely to develop obesity. Yeah. Add in a disability and, and you've, and you've if just got, got... If they have got obesity, they can also get a high risk of diabetes. So if yeah. you knock on effect of everything, yet I find there's more people that will happily work with those with obesity or diabetes or arthritis than those with a more lifelong disabling condition that are probably more 
likely to want to improve themselves than someone that is actually like this a long-term health condition. I know during COVID, when I didn't have to self-isolate, but I was working from home, and my, my mobility got a hundred times worse. I was stiffening right. up. My muscles got really stiff. I couldn't see my sports therapist. I couldn't get massages down. Yes, I was teaching online, but I was teaching at home in a smaller space on a non-studio floor, which actually makes yeah. all the difference. So, and I put on weight because I think we all put on weight during lockdown anyway. But it just goes, and it actually showed to me that actually we all need to exercise. We all need to improve our lives somehow to make our lives as we age a lot easier and better. Absolutely. And there's the World Health Organization referred to um, the impact of kind of like inactivity and a loss of functional capacity is actually um, disability affected life years. Um, And it's estimated that a significant number of people, I mean, I I can't remember the stats offhand, but it's 15 to 17%. No, I can't remember now. But a a significant number of people basically spend the last 15, 20 years of their lives disabled by inactivity rather than a disability. And, And again, so it's, this is something that yes, it's it's the the course we're training talking about is about working with disabled clients, but actually, it's working with anybody who has a limited functional um, capacity due to yeah. inactivity because it's going to benefit everybody, and it's just so important. So, what would be your your key message then? Firstly, to all the 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 leisure leisure providers out there, I would say. Look at your facility. Look at it as your viewpoint as a disabled person. If you, if not, get a disabled get a disabled fitness professional or someone you know that is disabled to come in, or even get like scope the charity in or activity alliance who can come in and tell you exactly what you need to make that that your centre accessible to people. I know I've helped my local centres out in helping them make them more accessible and I'm always happy to help people out because as a disabled person I've worked with all kinds of disabilities I know what people want basically and then for instructors or PTs I would say don't be scared of disability don't be scared of asking the questions don't be scared of breaking us you cannot break us Literally, if we break, it's not your fault. If we break, it's because it's our body trying to tell us something. But also, like we said, talk to your clients. Get to know them better than any other client. Get to know how they move, what their day's like, what they want to be able to do in the future. If that is going to help you write your programs. And also, if you teach classes, how can you make your classes more disability friendly you know could you have someone seated at the front at the side at the end of a row so that they can do it sat down if they wanted to it's just about putting yourself in a disabled person's viewpoint if you woke up tomorrow morning and you had a wheelchair next to your bed you couldn't move your legs how are you going to get up how are you going to have a shower how are you going to get downstairs how are you going to get to work 
if you start thinking about mindset because it could happen to anyone and then it helps that person understand the viewpoint of a disabled person because we have it 10 times we live life 10 times harder than a non-disabled person we don't know the struggles of getting up in the morning getting dressed getting in the shower getting out of the shower getting dressed it takes me literally an hour and a half every morning to get out of bed in the shower and dressed and that's before my breakfast yeah Yeah, and literally people can do that in like half an hour and it takes me yeah triple the length of time because that's how long it takes me and my body and if people put themselves in that viewpoint and think oh then I think they slowly start to change their mindset on how to work with people. Good, really good. What would you say then to all the disabled people out there who are nervous about approaching PTs or leisure facilities? Do so because actually if you don't approach them and they don't have that demand, they're not going to change. They're only going to change if you have that demand, if you keep badgering them and you know, if you're not getting anywhere, go to your local MP, go to your local councillors and just badger them because the more you actually badger them in in a collective, then actually you're going to get somewhere. If a local centre's just got demand for one disabled person, they're not going to do something. But if they've got a group of disabled people demanding change, demanding to use their services, they're more likely to then change the actual approach to disabled people. Yeah. And actually offering them money. Yeah. So we'd like to give you money to come here, yeah. but the purple p- yeah, it's so important. And The Purple Pound, as it's known for disabled people, the Purple Pound, there's a lot of money there to be spent and they, they're missing out on, on income. Yeah. And, you know... Again, it's it's such an important area. I'm actually running a, a training course um, it, towards the end of June. It'll be happening again in September. And because, because let's face it, who knows better about this than people like Sam? Sam is actually going to come on. I'm putting you on the spot now. But Sam is going to come on and teach some of the sessions, particularly about cerebral palsy, but also about the practicalities of working with somebody with a disability. Because I think it's so important on a training course to have that viewpoint, to have that input, to have that insight, which you won't get from reading a book or going on Wikipedia to find out about conditions. You know, Sam can really explain all of this in so much detail. So instructors out there, you know where to contact me. Sam, how can people contact you if they want to find out more about what you do? So um, basically I have, um, uh, I'm all over social media. My business name, Inclusifit, so I-N-C-R-U-S-F-I-T. It's a play on the word inclusive, but I've also got a website, so it's uk, or they can email me at sam at uk. Okay, I'll make sure all of those links are actually up with the podcast yeah. as well so that people can get in touch with you and I'll put yeah, them all any, on the social media. If anyone but... wants any advice or they, just know, they want to do the course but not sure, I'm happy to answer any questions. And I think, like Sarah said, I'm going to be on the course helping deliver part of it. And I actually think that actually there's no better way to learn from a disabled person themselves. Because that way you're going to get a factual better knowledge of how to disable people basically 
But also it means that it's going to be a lot less scary yeah. for instructors because they'll think, oh, well, you know, Sam's all right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I can do, maybe I can do this. But, and, it, and one thing I'm known for on courses is ongoing support. So people know that they can contact me or you yeah. afterwards if they have got any yeah. questions or anything. But Sam, thank you so much for coming on today. You are inspiring um, generally, but also I think you're going to inspire a lot of people into working in this field, which which is needed. So thank you so much for coming on. And I've no doubt that we will be chatting again in the future. Um, so Sam James from Inclusive Fit, thank you. Thank you. You've, You've been, been listening to Creative Active Lives with me, Sarah Belitho, and we will be back with you soon with more on Active Lives. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for listening to Creative Active Lives with me, Sarah Belitho, and my guests. Join me each week for more on how to create and sustain everyday activity and follow me online at Fitness Career Mentor or Fabnulous if you're interested in career development and more on creating active lifestyles.